We are continuing our study in the book of Acts. We will have a special um, Christmas uh, evening messages beginning Wednesday, next Sunday night. But wanted to uh, deliver this message from Acts 2. I think it brings us to a, a, a nice place uh, before we'll take a few weeks off um, and uh, get back into Acts after the new year, probably around the end of the year. Um, I was going to do this message two weeks ago. Of course, we had to call off service, and I've been sitting on this one for a couple of weeks. Um, went back and, and, and uh, tweaked it a little bit and uh, added some thoughts to it that I felt like made it uh, made it a better sermon. So hopefully, uh, whatever it was, didn't hear it two weeks ago, but I think it'd be better than it would have been. So I think tonight will be a great time in the Word. Um, so if you have a Bible, would love for you to open up to Acts 2. Um, I know it's been a few weeks since we spent some time in Acts, uh, but we're going to, uh, we're just getting started. And I think we'll be all right getting uh, caught up. Um, we have spent, I think, maybe three weeks in chapter one, and we should get through chapter two in one night. I think, how about that? We'll see how it goes. Actually, we probably, probably won't get through it, but we're going to stop around verse 40, but we'll get, we'll get a little far because um, the end of the chapter kind of uh, sets up something for chapter three. So uh, we're going to read to begin, though, uh, the first 21 verses, uh, which introduces us to the church as they take to the streets of Jerusalem into the festival of Pentecost, and we'll hear the first part of Peter's sermon. Uh, so let's go ahead and read that and hear that together before we get into our conversation. Acts 2 verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there the, then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there was dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear each in our own tongue or our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, they are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only uh, the third hour or 9 a.m. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last day, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above the signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So Peter uses this to introduce this movement that we know and we call the local church. What is its purpose? It's to bring people to that place, as verse 21 puts it so plainly, 
that we all could call on the name of the Lord through the work of the local church. I want to start out by asking you a question when you think, um, asking you a question that will really, I think, get us in the right uh, line of thinking tonight, in the right place. Um, when you think about church, um, when someone brings up church, when you hear the word church, what instantly comes to your mind? Now, there's no right or wrong. Maybe there's some wrong answers. I don't know. But I don't think there's a wrong answer or there's a particularly one right answer. But probably when we hear the word church, we all have a very specific, a very, uh, a very particular thing that comes to our mind for many of us, really for most of us. I bet when we hear the word church, we hear and we think our church. We think about our specific experience, our specific personal community, the place that we call home. I would think that when we hear church, we don't just think of a generic institution, uh, an organization that is big and wide and everywhere, uh, that has all different sides and all different colors and all different fashions. When we hear the word church, being church people, we hear and we think about my church and our church. For many of us, church is a possession more than somewhere we go. It's something that is ours, something that belongs to us, or more importantly, that we belong to. Now, don't get too far ahead of me. I'm not commenting on whether this is a biblical way to think or not. Uh, I'm just making an observation. I think if you ask most people, hey, what's church to you? Or what do you think about when you hear church? Or you know, what's the first thing that you think about church? They would say, or you would say, well, I think about my church. I think about Risen Church, or maybe a church that you grew up in whenever you were, you know, whenever you were younger, a church around here, a church that maybe doesn't, it doesn't gather, or doesn't meet anymore, doesn't really exist anymore. You all think, we all think about our church. My church is what comes to mind. So I guess what I'm getting at is when we think about church, we think about a particular version or a particular idea, more than just a denomination or a style or a tradition, we think about something that is very specific to our experience, don't we? And that's okay. But that is why we all have so many different ideas and experiences because our answers, uh, they would be so different because we all have come from a very unique place and depending on where you were brought up and what generation you were brought up and you know what part of the world, part of the country, we all have a very different idea, a very different picture to paint, a very different description to give, a very different, different definition to give about what my church is like and what our church is like, and maybe you've seen things change so much, you know, you have a certain, you know, one that you, you uh, favor or would love to go back to. You know, I can't exactly remember, but I do know that as a kid, I had zero visualization of what church looked like apart from my own experience. Um, when, when I was a kid, I thought church was just, I thought, you know, hey, every church is like my church. Thank God every church wasn't, but I, I, love, I love my experience. But it was very unique, um, and, and, and I've never been anywhere else like it. And I'm sure most of you have a similar story, that your church, affectionate, uh, you're affectionate about it. You, the good, the bad, the ugly, the, the, the things you're proud of, the things you're not so proud of, it was still yours, and it's something special about that, right? But when I was little, um, I, I just assumed everybody that went to church had, my, had the same experience as me. And even though they looked different, and they were at different places, and maybe met at different times, and had different names and different you know, prefixes and stuff, 
suffixes on the name. I just thought, well, I guess everybody has the same experience that I do. Um, little did I know how far that was from the truth. And at some point, I finally realized, and I'm, I'm pretty sure it was probably up until I, uh, in my teenage years, even I'd been to funerals, and I just thought, well, this is just a special funeral um, you know, service. But at some point in my teenage years, um, I, I realized that you know, this isn't true. Everybody's church experience is different, and some people like this and like that, and they hate this and they hate that. And, and then I realized churches don't get along, and Christians don't get along, and everybody's so different, and they want to be so different, and they don't really want to be anywhere like the other people that go to the same or go to buildings and places that have similar names and similar, you know, uh, uh, obviously believe similar things, or you would think, um, you know, I learned that even though we have a common cause, or I assume we have a common cause, we were all so different from each other. And I remember being in uh, lunch or being in the classroom with uh, kids at school, and, you know, every once in a while, uh, at some point, we all started talking about church, and, you know, next thing I know it, everybody's going around the table and thinking, wow, you don't do it the way we do it, and I don't do it the way you do it. And and people were kind of like, wow, nobody thought it was different than what they personally experienced. And here's where we're going with all this, because I think this conversation is important for us to have. At some point in every church member's life, whether it's because we're curious or because of a message like this, we will be confronted, and we are confronted with the reality that things haven't always been the way they are for us. Whether they're right or wrong, or should be or shouldn't be, uh, a mirror is held up in front of us to see clearly what is as it should be and what might not be as it needs to be. You see, while it's okay to talk in terms of my church and our church, over the last few weeks as we've introduced ourselves to Acts in this series we're calling The Church, we've learned some things, haven't we? And mainly what we've learned, we've been reminded that before it was mine or ours, before it was even an it, the church was an idea in the mind and the heart of one Jesus of Nazareth. So before we ever had our version and our ideas and our traditions and our styles and our preferences, before it was ever mine or yours or ours, it wasn't even an it. It was an idea. It was a vision of Jesus Christ. He stood on a hillside overlooking a pagan shrine at Caesarea Philippi. He inquired of the disciples what the word on the street was about him, and he kind of chuckled as they had all different answers to give. But Peter said, Jesus, I know who you really are. You're the Messiah, and you've come to build something. We're waiting on you to put this kingdom in motion. And Jesus said, hey, we'll we'll deal with the kingdom later, but I've come to build something different. And Peter, you're right. The whole world's going to know my name before it's over with. It's going to be a movement like none other, and you're going to help spearhead it. Jesus told us in Matthew 16, on this rock, on this confession, on this reality, on this truth, that he is the son of the living God, I'm going to build my church and hell won't stop it. And from his mind, from his heart, this idea became a movement Not simply a building or an association, but a gathering of people that became organized around Jesus in an event or several events in history surrounding him. Now, as we actually get into talking about the opening day of the church, we're going to learn a lot tonight. Mainly one thing. There is one church. There is one movement, only one, that can be traced Back to the book of Acts, a movement that started with these few men in this upper room praying together in one accord, in one place. The emphasis is there was one of these, and it started with these men. 
with this one movement. If we are going to try to trace our, 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 our connection to God, if we're going to try to find where we fit into God's story, all of us, our church and my church and your church and their church, we all have to trace it back to the one movement that started here in Acts 2. What this really does to our own ideas and pictures of the church is it challenges any and all preconceived ideas that we have about church. It may affirm some, but it definitely challenges others. Because I'd feel pretty comfortable in assuming that most of our initial responses aren't as spelled out as before us. So what Acts does, Acts forces us to reconcile our version with his version. And our version might be just completely some, you know, in line and hold it over the other and you can't tell the difference. I have a hunch. Might be some differences. And they might be okay differences here and there. But the point of it is, and the goal of it is, is that we would reconcile the way we do it with the way he started it. And figure out what needs to stay and what needs to go and what was a part of his vision that we've lost or that we've left and that we need to get back to. You see, when we think church, we think about places and services and traditions and styles. What comes to our mind are songs and sermons. We think about, you know, beside, who's beside us and in front of us and behind us, who came and who didn't come. We think about Sunday school and special Sundays, Bible studies and Bible school and programs, Monday, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And while all those things are great, it's apparent that when we hear church, it doesn't immediately bring to mind what was meant at the beginning and from the beginning. You see, church doesn't immediately or even primarily bring to mind a bigger and broader movement, a single movement. We think about something very narrow, something very specific, time and place, and whether that's right or wrong or indifferent, it's just true, isn't it? While in some ways it's a testament to the inclusiveness and the malleability of the church that it's become what it is today, could it be? And I, wanna, I think we need to ask these questions. Could it be that our possession and our influence over the church may have taken a few things a little too far? Could it be that we have somewhat detached the church from the movement it began as? Just asking, could this have happened? Could church member have less of a meaning as a result? Just asking, not declaring or stating, just something worth considering, I think. What if? What if it really is all about a movement? And what if church to us should represent participation in this movement rather, rather than something more static, more institutional, more specialized? Now, these may be unnecessary questions to ask, but besides my reading of Scripture, here's another reason why I think uh, this is important and why I'm asking these questions. You see, for a lot of us, my church and our church and your church only uh, brings good memories. But for many more, it may bring painful and darkened memories, not because of anything the Bible says or was done in the name of Scripture, but was done apart from Scripture, but under the guise of and under the authority of the church. Not because it had anything to do with what Jesus started or kicked off in Acts, but because of somebody's mishandling of the church, someone's misbehavior in the church, which maybe happened in your past, maybe has happened in your present. Maybe church isn't the same today as it used to be for you, and maybe this is another important thing. Maybe you're somebody who decries what the church has become. 
Uh, maybe it's just literally not the same. Maybe, maybe you moved or you split with someone or the church split and things fell apart. Things just aren't the same as they were in the good old days. Maybe that's true for you, but I have some good news. The movement did not stop just because it stopped meaning what it used to mean to you. The movement is not stuck in the past in a building that no longer is occupied. The movement is not stuck in the past in an era that has gone. The movement is not stuck and the movement did not leave you behind. The movement is not in the past. It is very much in the present. And even if church only brings good memories for you because the church is meant to do more than just bring memories, it's about establishing a legacy, being a part of God's legacy on, heaven and, on earth and in heaven. I think it's important for us as well, even if only good things have come from the church for you, I think it's as important for us to understand and consider how our memories line up with the movement because if the church is just about good memories, it's still missing something. So if I could somehow for just a moment, and you can unplug and forget this later if you want to, but for just a few minutes, I want to help us reclaim what church means to us. Not diminish or dismiss your own understanding, your own convictions, your own preferences. You can, you can take those back, pick those back up when you leave, and you can be as strongly associated with those as you were before, or even stronger. But my goal is to add to something to go alongside those at least. Church can mean all those things that it means to you, but if that's how you like it, or if it doesn't have to mean those things, if you find out that, hey, that's not really what the Bible says it's supposed to mean to begin with. So I'm hoping to kind of bring us in the light of what Scripture says we should be all about. I'm really not interested in changing your mind, but I am interested in adding to your mind how more than anything else, church has always been about a movement, the movement of God in which we are invited to join. So I want to strip away everything we know about church and let's get to the basic idea. Is it a movement to you? Is it a movement that you have been invited to join and that you are actively participating in? If it is not, whether the things that are there are in the way or not, we've got to figure out how we can get to this and stay at this. You see, what Acts is teaching us is the very basics of the church. We've learned about the church's identity. We've learned about the church's mission. We've learned about our secret power, the secret power of the church that gives us a new identity, the presence of God, what was long sought after, exclusively realized through this brand new movement. What is this power for? We learn to give us a new identity, to send us on a mission to be the church and grow the church. We, we last left off with the church gathered together preparing to be and grow the church. You'll remember they were doing four things. They were staying together, as in they weren't just coming on one day of the week, but they were living this lifestyle. They were staying together. They were, uh, 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 they were united around these ideas. They were devoted to these ideas, and they were praying about them and with each other. What we learned and foreshadowed a few weeks ago, every time we find the church staying and uniting and devoting and praying, the Spirit of God moves in a big way. And his first big movement, I think big's not enough of a word, his first mega movement occurred in Acts 2. The original mega church, because the church made a mega splash on day one. The reason they made a big splash is because they were moving. They didn't just meet didn't just have a service and pray and go home. They didn't, especially did not seek to serve their own wants and needs or mind their own business in a corner. When the movement started, it moved in every direction, meeting people where they were. We don't know what, what the service was like on that first day. We just know what it led to. 
Isn't that, isn't that awesome to think about? And we worry so much. Are we singing the right songs? Are we wearing the right clothes? Are we meeting at the right time? Are our services the right length? Do we have all these things in place? And I'm not saying those aren't important. They, very, they are. But we worry so much about getting everything perfect in the 11 o'clock hour. And we don't know a thing about what it was like for them other than that God moved. But we know what they did when God moved. They left the building and they went to work. They went to people. And we find that people came to them because there was something irresistible about what started that day. Now, the circumstances surrounding opening day were obviously unique to the time and place, but I want you to observe, and as we've read, I want you to think about um, what we're told and what we've been told, what we're not told as well, what is said and what isn't said, and I want us to try to glean something from this very first day of business for the local church. I want you to particularly notice and try to figure out if you can see their one priority and their one agenda, because I think it's pretty clear what this one priority is and what this one agenda is. Here again, the first seven verses. When the day of Pentecost fully came, they were all, they were with one accord in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So they responded to what God, how God moved and what God did. And there was dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men of every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, as in something inside made a noise that the outside world couldn't ignore, when the sound occurred, they were confused because everyone heard them speak in their own tongue. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all of these who speak Galilean? And of course, that leads to Peter giving this amazing declaration in verse 21. It shall come to pass. What we're doing is all about bringing this reality. That whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be and can be and would be saved. So what can we glean from this snapshot of that first service, that first meeting? We see the disciples were being used by God. They were anointed by God in the service and specifically used by God beyond the service to bring a message of personal salvation to everyone based on something that had happened in their midst. What we find from the rest of the story is they did not go out and say, this is how we just did things in this little meeting. They go out and they talk about what God has done apart from their little meeting that they met because of but that would impact everybody else if they just heard the story. Something has happened, and you ought to hear about it. We see the disciples in the upper room. They're gathered together praying when their, this festival day came. Spirit of God fills their heart for the very first time. What must it have been like? And I would imagine it was like when you got saved because you received the Spirit of God at salvation, unlike these men who received it when Jesus sent it a few days or a few weeks after his resurrection. When you first received the presence of God in your life, this is what these men experienced. Now, they weren't just making noise in this building to the point of getting the outsider's attention. Notice the point. They went outside and they responded to the interest, but more importantly, they went out and got the attention of the people that were outside. Maybe you wonder, what does verse 4 mean? They begin to speak with other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit gave them that ability. What it means is the power of God 
gave them a very specific purpose and anointed them with a very specific gift that would fulfill what Jesus called them to back in chapter 1. That you would be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. He gave them a gift that would be specifically used to fulfill this purpose, that they would be witnesses. But the miracle of it all, they were surrounded by people from every nation who were making a pilgrimage for this trip. All of these people were Jewish worshipers who come from around the world because it was Pentecost, a festival that called people to make pilgrimage to Judea. Now, I want to make it very clear. All of the Jews that lived around the world would have known how to speak and would have known how to hear and understand Hebrew. The men could have spoke Hebrew and they could have, got the, they could have understood them. Everybody that was a Jew in the, ancient, in the first century spoke Hebrew and Aramaic. There was not going to be an issue of understanding each other. Also, everybody in the ancient world that traveled from one place to the other spoke Greek. It was the universal language of the world. If you traveled from one place to another, you better know how to understand Greek or you are not going to know how to follow the signs and, and, and make commerce. So the point of this isn't so much that it was necessary, but it reminds us that Jesus laid out a vision in chapter 1, verse 8. And this shows us it's going to be possible. Because what would have been the biggest barrier to getting the good news to everybody around the world? What if they don't understand us? Don't worry about it. I'll fix that. These people don't need you to do this. They don't need this gift. But I'm going to exercise this gift to make it known to them, make it known to everybody. The language barrier isn't going to be an issue. Now, this is really cool. Remember the Tower of Babel? They all spoke one tongue, came together to rebel against God. God confused their languages and spread them around the world. Here they come back together from all around the world because Babylon had overcame Israel and separated the Jews from their home. Now they come back together for a festival and their tongues, though they're different, God unites their ears and makes them all hear the same word. Notice the ark. Notice the redemption ark from the scattering of Babylon to the unification of Pentecost. Jesus said, you're going to reach the world. And they did, didn't they? The Jesus movement was moving towards the entire world with good news for all people. There would be no barrier. So what, did the, what was the outcome of that first worship service? They walked out of there with a desire and a determination and a gift to reach everybody. Listen to Peter give this good news. We're, gonna skip, we're not going to read the entire rest of the chapter, but I'm going to pick and choose a few verses. I'm, I'm going to skip the verses where he's quoting the Old Testament. He used that to confirm that he was based out of Scripture. We're going to just read around those. So follow with me. Verse 22 through 24, and then we'll skip down to verse 32. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. So y'all have heard about it. Y'all saw him. You're witnesses of it. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, crucified, and put to death. Now, everybody had just saw what happened 50 days before. They watched it. They supported it. 
whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. So why am I preaching to you all? It's because Jesus Christ showed up, y'all rejected him, you buried him, and God raised him, and his resurrection has shook the whole world. And the gift he gave us to make your ears hear what we just said, that's showing you all that our message is going to reach the ends of the earth. People say, well, what if they don't understand? What if they don't, under, what if they don't have the context? What if they don't know what the Jewish God is? And all? <laughs> Don't worry about it. God is going to exercise his ability to reach and save anybody. Because what Jesus did in his resurrection fundamentally changed everything so much that he would have the ability to change any heart that hears this message. See, we often, we, we try to over-science things, don't we? We worry about what this person, how they may respond, and how do we make it specific to them. Peter is telling us what happened in history. God worked behind the scenes to make sure this would be enough to get the attention if we just delivered it as clear as it, was, as it took place. Now, down in verse 32, Peter uses the Old Testament to testify how this was all planned ahead of time. He says, this Jesus God has raised up. So what, what, do, you, what do you think their message is? What, is it, what are they clearly trying to emphasize? That Jesus was dead, he's alive again. Dead people don't normally walk out of their graves, right? And this resurrection is a big deal, as it, you would think it would be. God raised him, we seen him, and he gave us a mission. 33, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. So God raised him, we've seen him, we've experienced him, and his movement, though y'all killed him, he hasn't stopped. It's not dead, it's just getting started. So Peter, to these Jewish people that thought it was over, says to them, Therefore let all the house of Israel know, verse 36, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He wants to make it very clear. Y'all could have prevented this, but even though you, could, you, cons uh, you know, consented to it, God had a plan, and it's all led up to this point. So to summarize it, something happened, somebody came, for everyone everywhere to hear and receive from God. Something happened. Jesus died and came back to life. The Holy Spirit has come into our hearts so that everyone everywhere can hear and receive this good news. That's the short version of the gospel. All throughout Acts, we see this is what defines and drives the church, spreading the good news to everyone everywhere at all costs. Now, we, talked about the, we started out talking about the church and what, how it's unlike or how it's like what we are today. What, do we, what we find from this first day is this clarity, right? This simplicity, this determination. But I also want to just kind of get to the basics of what we are witnessing here in Acts 2. Before there were Bibles, bands, or banners, there was good news. There weren't Baptists, weren't all the other versions, but there was good news. And the church's priority was, how can we get this good news to the most people as clearly and as quickly as possible? Not compromising anything, but not adding anything unnecessary either. I think it's also important to know the church was not a place 
I love our buildings. They're very important. They, make, they help us a lot. But the church was not a place. It was a vehicle. Everything became about what can make this car move. Think about it. The church is a vehicle. How can we make sure it's reliable, efficient, and maneuverable? Because we want to make, make sure that what we're building and what we're, what we're organizing is dependable, as in it's going to do what we have been called to do, and that it does it well, and that we can maneuver around the obstacles that we're no doubt going to face. When you, buy, when you buy a vehicle, you want one that's reliable, you want one that's efficient, and you want one that's, that you can handle. That's what the church prioritized in the beginning. By sticking to this simple and effective agenda, they stayed on mission. And as time would pass, just as Jesus predicted, the church became a gathering that rallied around this one idea. Jesus is the resurrected Christ, the Son of the living God. Also very important to, to, to hear, and I'm a preacher who thinks you should come to church, so this is hard for me to say. But what does Peter tell us? Peter's message wasn't attend a church. It was join the movement. He didn't ever want anybody to think just because they walk in a building they've done something spiritual. Have you joined the movement? Are you a part of the movement? If you're just sitting, sitting around and you're just kind of, you know, sleeping or, or hanging out or watching the clock, hey, that's not joining the movement. That's just that's something else. He never said, hey, you should attend this church because, hey, they were on a mission. You've got to join the movement. And, and this is also important, what we find throughout Acts. Whether you attend church regularly or not, the church will regularly attend you. That was his message. Hey, you don't have to come to us. We're coming to you. You may not ever attend one of our gatherings, but you know what? Our gatherings will attend you daily. Like us or not, you can't get rid of us. You're going to try to lock us up and kill us, but you just can't get rid of us because we are on a mission. Think about it. In the ancient days, in the early days, you couldn't go to church. You were the church. The church wasn't for church people. There weren't any. The church wasn't about a location. There wasn't one. The church wasn't about style, liturgy, or ritual. There weren't any. It was this movement of people devoted to being disciples of Jesus, determined to follow him wherever and to whomever, dedicated to make more disciples. Pretty simple, isn't it? A movement devoted to following, determined to go wherever and to whomever so that more people would follow up and follow in with them. From opening day forward, there has always been a group of people who refuse to let go of this ideal. Y'all heard me preach this for years now. And are we, have we realized our vision entirely? No, but we've, we've moved toward it. And I've refused to settle for anything less, even when it would be tempting or honestly easier. Throughout history, there have been a group of people that always refuse to make it about a building, but make it and keep it as a body. A movement. Through the ages, there have been revolutionaries, missionaries, Jesuits, church planners, evangelists, Bible translators, pastors, student pastors, Bible smugglers, teachers that have all fought to keep this at the heart of it. Who, when they heard church, when they hear church, the first thing they think about, as great as their memories and their own interests are, the first thing they think about is a movement on this simple idea that prioritizes this simple mission. And when they see the church, they let go of sentiment and they let go of all the affection and they say, how can we make this vehicle reliable and efficient and maneuverable so that we can continue our mission? We fight so many battles and write books about how to preserve our version. 
and why our version is best, and we turn blue in the face trying to convince people why they're wrong and we're right. But is that what it's all about? No. You see, the versions are just a means to fulfill the vision. It's okay that there's all sorts of versions of what we do and how we do it. But they're only good if they are a means to fulfill the vision. Nothing more. It's about this vision and this mission to bring people to this place that they might would say like these did to Peter in verse 37. When they heard this, they were cut to heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do that it draws this desperate response? A response that they expect will be answered. Because the church hasn't cut any corners about getting results. Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He makes it so clear. Listen, obviously you've been doing it wrong. You've been living wrong. You've been following the wrong direction. You consented to the death of the one that came to save you. So repent of this. Confess that that was the wrong thing to do. Confess that you've had it wrong and believe that Jesus is the only one that gets it right. And when you give him your exclusive trust, you're forgiven of your sins and you receive the presence of God. What sort of promise is that and how effective would it be if that was the simple message we gave every time? What do I got to do? Believe that God has the, has the good news that you're looking for and you can receive something in return. Forgiveness of guilt and sin and the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And he didn't saddle them with all other sorts of baggage and all other sorts of nonsense. Maybe that would come later, but it didn't come first. Verse 39 through 41 and we're done. For the promises to you and your children and to all who are afar off, that's us. As many as the Lord our God will call, that's you. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted to them, be saved from this perverse generation. We think ours is bad. Theirs was just as bad, maybe worse. They killed Jesus. So, hey, can you get much worse than that? But there was hope. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day, 3,000 souls. About. They couldn't count them all. Can you blame them? 3,000 were saved and added to them. Isn't that that good? They joined the movement. Their name wasn't put on a roster at First Baptist Jerusalem. Their bodies joined a movement. This message continues to see lives change. The church still has the power to see lives change if we stick with what has proven to work time and time again. Joining the movement and allowing the momentum of the good news to move through us and move us with it. Get rid of everything else. You know, I might might ruffle some feathers when I say that because people will get nervous and wonder wonder what I'm going to get rid of. Whatever you got to get rid of. That's all window dressing. What matters and what only will ever matter is God still moving. He's looking for people to move through. So are we moving stuff in his way or are we being moved by the way? At the end of the day, that's the question every church council has to ask, every deacon board, every pastor, every leadership, every church member, everybody. God's still moving. We know that. 
Verse 39 makes it clear to him, to that generation, everyone since. God's still moving. He's still looking for people to move through. He's not the issue. So have we moved stuff in his way or are we being moved by the way? Are we participating in this movement? Is the church facilitating this movement? Or does the vehicle need to be serviced? Have we traded it in for something that looks like what we used to drive, but you know what, it's not the same. There are questions we must ask in conversations we must have because this is not mine or ours. It's his, it's his church, it's his movement. What if, and I ask this question a lot, but I think it's worth asking a lot. What if we prioritize being this movement? Which ultimately, if you just bottle it down, if you, take, if you make it just about the simplest, if you, you know, least common denominator, it's about exalting Jesus and reaching people. That's the non-negotiables. And you might have some things you want to add to third, fourth, and fifth, but as long as you agree that one and two are those, then hey, I'll work with you. Exalting Jesus, reaching people. Is it possible? Is it possible to strip away all the fat? Well, we've tried to, and we're going to keep trying to, as I've made it my goal and my passion to do whatever it takes to get us there as a church, where the presence and power of Jesus is irresistible, where there are no barriers, no hurdles, no walls. There's something disciples learn quickly about how to reach people. If you just get them in the presence of Jesus, that'll take care of everything else. What song did they sing? I don't know. What were they wearing? I don't know. Maybe nothing. I don't know. The unexplainable gives way to the undeniable in the presence of the irresistible. Jesus. The church can be, and it should be, the most powerful persuasive movement on the planet. If we would let God move in us as he did in Acts 2, we would be blown away by the results. I still believe that. Do you? I still believe it. I know 2020 has been challenging. As we set our sights on what's next, we look back to know how to do it. And we commit to doing it no other way. A lot to think about. A lot to pray about. One movement to make sure we're all about. Jesus Christ. Raised and sending his spirit to save every one of us. Thank you, church, for being here tonight for this subject that obviously I'm very passionate about. But I'm passionate about it because I'm a product of the work of this persuasive, powerful movement. And I'll do everything I can do to keep the momentum going. Can, you, can I pray for you? Father, thank you for jo uh, joining us with this movement. Lord, we all have our traditions and our styles and our preferences. And Lord, thank you for giving us the ability to enjoy it and enjoy what it means to be a Christian. I think you're, you're delighted in seeing how different we are, yet how united we still are at the same time. Lord, this isn't meant to make anybody second guess how they do it or what they're doing, but it is meant to make us reconcile what we're doing with what you started. God, help us to line ourselves up with the way Jesus started it and the way the disciples instituted it and the movement that began with them that's still going through the world today. Help us to make sure we are joined to it. God, we're so blessed to be a part of this movement. We don't deserve it, yet you continue to move and you continue to give and you continue to save. Perverse as our world may be, powerful and persuasive, you still are. Lord, we love you. We're thankful 
for, make, for being a part of your family. May we be obedient and follow your spirit. In Jesus' name we ask and pray. Amen.